Put your faith in Christ. Amen. That's good. I hope you're excited about that today. I know we've had a long weekend probably. You've been very busy and probably cooked out and worked out and ate too much. It's time to get alive now. It's preaching time. Amen. That's important. Some of you, boy, I tell you what, you got to get fired up now. Brother Houston is a uh, evangelist. And uh, I've met Brother Houston a number of years ago at football camp, as Brother Kavanaugh was saying. And uh, that's the first time I met him as well. Uh, he uh, also uh, coached uh, uh, Caleb. Was on, Caleb was on his team one year, and they won the Super Bowl that year. 
That's, that was a highlight in my son's life, and uh, at the time it was a highlight in mine, I think. <laughs> you know, living vicariously through my children there. But uh, anyway, I never won a Super Bowl, and he did, so I was a little bit upset with him. But uh, I learned to live with it. But nonetheless, uh, Brother Houston was the head coach there and did a great job with the, the boys there. Just a, It's more than just coaching. It's more than football. It's about connecting with the young people and making an impact and a difference in their life. And, boy, he, he, he influenced my son in, in a, a very significant way. Although it was a very short period of time, it's amazing how that interaction, that contact, truly makes a difference. And uh, he also is a great preacher, and we've had him preach. Uh, they've had him preach there at the camp a number of times, had the privilege of listening to him preach. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to enjoy I have no idea what he's preaching about. I don't send preachers suggestions what to preach and things like that. Uh, um, maybe some of these young men I do, but not, um, not the ones that come in that we, we ask to come on in. So anyway, whatever the Lord put on his heart is what I, I'm looking forward to hearing. And I trust you'll open your heart today. I, I trust you'll realize that every day and every service is special. But, you know, when God provides us and gives us the opportunity to hear somebody that's unique, different, boy, obviously there's providence there. There's a reason for it. And so I really want you to sit on the edge of your seat today. I want you to open your ears and your heart. And I want you to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to speak to you as Brother Houston comes. Ask yourself this question, what do you have for me, Lord? What do you have for me? And like Samuel said, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Brother Houston, won't you come, please? Thank you so much. Thank you, preacher. Honor to be here. Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Say amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. And I'm glad to be here. I hope you're glad to be here. Take your Bibles with me, if you would. Turn to the book of Luke, chapter number 16. Luke, chapter number 16. I really would like to preach on America this morning. I don't feel like the Lord's leading me to do that. But I will speak about it this evening. I hope you'll come back. I believe America is in trouble. I believe it's the greatest nation on the face of planet Earth next to Israel. You better be careful about putting America above Israel. Amen? But it is the best nation. Uh, but we're in trouble. Psalm 9 and verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. America's in serious trouble, okay? And tonight I want to preach a message on, uh, about America that the Lord's given me to preach and God's called me to try to stir revival in America. There is hope for America. But that hope is not in our politicians. They're a tool that God gave us, but they're not the hope. The hope is God. Amen? The hope is a revival in God's. The hope is God's people. The Bible says that Jesus said to His disciples, Ye, talking to His disciples, are, not might be, the, note the word the, salt, of the earth. There is no assault in the earth except the Christian. He didn't say you're the salt of your church. He didn't say you're the salt of your Christian school. He didn't say you're the salt of your home. He said you're the salt of the earth. He said ye are the light of the world. That means there is no other light in the world. See, those lost politicians don't have a clue what to do. The lost school teacher has no idea what to do. 
The lost social worker and government worker and lost college professor doesn't have an idea what to do to help this country. They're shooting in the dark because they don't have the truths of the Word of God. And then God left us here with a mission. You be the salt and you be the light. And if, you don't, if you're not the salt, then you're good for nothing. And if you're not the light or you hide your light under a bushel, you're not affecting anything. We're in trouble in America not because of Washington. We're in trouble in America because of our churches. It's my house, your house, and God's house that's the problem in this country. Who's the last person you shared the gospel with? When's the, last person, when's the last time you stood up and said anything? When's the last time you wrote your politician? I write the president. I get some from the White House every week of my life. Do you think he read your letter? No, I don't think he read it. Somebody did. Did they pass it on to him? I don't know. But at least I'm trying to make a difference. I write all of my representatives and senators on a regular basis. We'd have stood up, we wouldn't be where we're at. I tell you, my my grandfather's generation allowed liquor to flow free in this country. Prohibition was working. My father's generation allowed them to take prayer and Bible out of the school. My generation allowed them to start aborting Millions of babies, 1973. And this generation's allowing them to sanction homosexual marriages. And you think God's going to bless that? How can He bless that? But there's hope. Brother Kavanaugh said it. I want to come out of my seat and go glory to God. Hallelujah. We are not in the darkest days. We still have hope. The opportunity is still there because when the judgment of God starts falling, you will know it. It will be very obvious uh, that with Israel, their armies quit winning their battles. They began to put all their money in bags that had holes. God's given us a space of grace, folks. A little more time. I don't know what we're going to do with it, Brother O'Donnell, and I'm concerned about what we're going to do with it. There's good churches like this that can have the greatest impact upon this nation if we'll get stirred up and have revival. Amen? So I want you to come back tonight. That's a little bit of of an intro into what we'll do tonight. But that tonight, Lord willing, I'm going to show you. Now, he may change my mind this afternoon, so okay? So if I come in, don't preach it. I can't tell you. I don't run things here. I try to obey the Lord. But, if, Lord willing, I'm going to show you where America was prophesied in the Bible. It's in the book. Our Savior prophesied us. It's in there. It goes all the way back to Genesis. Right after the flood. We have a wonderful book. God said He'd never do anything without letting us know it first. 
He's the God who declares the end from the beginning. Not the end at the end, but from the beginning. He told us what would happen in the end. Amen. We should never be taken by surprise by anything that happens because we have the eternal, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Amen? Amen. Hey, and we're on the winning side. Amen? No matter what happens. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I, I hope you'll pray for me. I, two years ago, I was diagnosed with lymphoma cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, God is good. Amen? Amen? I'm excited about it. Never been happier in my life. We decided to treat it naturally and holistically with diet, supplements, and herbs. And I feel great on the, on the, on the trail. And if I, win, if I beat cancer, I'm a winner in that area. And if I don't beat cancer, I'm a real winner because I'm going to heaven. Amen? Amen? And so in everything, give thanks. Amen? God would sure like to see His people happy and rejoicing about the wonderful blessings He's given us. Amen? Amen. Nothing happened that God didn't know, so the price of gas uh, didn't surprise God one bit. Amen. Luke chapter 16, if you would, this morning. Luke chapter 16, and Pastor, what time do you normally let out? Right at noon? All right, quarter after. All right, we'll get her done. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word in Luke chapter number 16. A very, very familiar portion of Scripture, if you've been saved very long. Perhaps one of the most important passages of Scripture in all of the Bible, though all of it is important. But this passage of Scripture, our Savior is speaking. Here He's telling us a story. And, and Jesus taught many stories and parables, but this story is not a parable. The reason this is not a parable because in this story He gives us a man's name. Anytime that Jesus uses a name, He is not talking about fictitious characters. He is talking about a true person. Amen. Here we see it in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It says, There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And we see two men here, a rich man, and we see a beggar. The beggar is not just a beggar. He is a beggar with sores all over his body. He wants to just get some crumbs. He is very, very destitute. There's something about these two beggars that's different. The Bible says in verse number 22, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. I like those three words, very important there. And was buried because the, 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 the false witnesses want to tell you there is no hell. Amen? It says, and he was buried, and then in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Amen. Seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. He said, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, and may he dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted. And thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, Father Abraham, Father, that he would send, would, would ascend, that thou would ascend him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses 
and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, would you bless this morning? Father, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. Lord, I came out of, a, out, of, out of sin into salvation through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Christian, I had walked away from you. I'd quit going to church. I had gotten involved in a sin that was extremely uh, sinful. My grandmother said I'd be in prison someday, and I would have been except for the grace of God. The fact that you never leave us nor forsake us. Once we're saved, we're always saved. The Spirit moves in. We cannot run from the Spirit of God. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful that you had mercy and grace for me and that you let me come back to you and that you had a purpose for my life. And I want to thank you and praise you. And Father, if there's anyone here today that is not saved, if there's anyone here that is lost and knows they're lost, and I pray that today be the day of their salvation. Father, if there's one here today that maybe does not know they're lost today, they'll become understand they're lost. And then, Father, there may be some here today who may have a, a, a belief that they're saved, but they're not saved. I don't believe in preaching doubt, but, Father, many times we have professions without possessions. And so speak to those hearts. And, Father, please save souls, if you would, and then stir and challenge us as Christians. Father, we need you to meet with us. Father, I need you. I yield myself as best I know how to the Holy Spirit. Please meet with us. Father, I give you the glory now. Lord, if anything bad happens, I'll take the blame. But every good, I give you praise and glory now. We thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Important uh, that Jesus tells the story here of the rich man who died and went to hell, and Lazarus who died and was taken by the angels into Abraham's bosom. So let me just help you with Abraham's bosom. Before Jesus was uh, crucified and died and was buried and rose again and went to heaven, everybody that was a believer in God, a believer in the salvation that God had, went to Abraham's bosom, or what many refer to as paradise. Paradise at this time evidently was in the location close to hell. And so when the rich man died and ended up in hell, he was able to look over into paradise and see Lazarus. He knew Lazarus because Lazarus sat at his gate full of sores every day, desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from his table. I have a personal opinion about Lazarus and this rich man. I believe that Lazarus was once a rich man and the rich man was his steward. And the reason I believe that is because that's what the first part of the chapter says. And that steward was unjust. He wasn't doing his job, so he was going to lose his job. So he went to his, his master's creditor and he embezzled their money. That's what I believe that passage talks about. He said, yo, my master 100, write me a check for 50. Yo, my master 200, write a check for 50. And, and he embezzled his master's money. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. It's not Bible. That's what I believe. Lazarus became a pauper. He had to declare bankruptcy because that man stole from him. And so I don't think it was an accident that every day Lazarus went to that gate, because I believe every day Lazarus went to that gate, he wanted to remind that rich man of what he'd done to him. That would make you understand how sinful you are, wouldn't it? But I think you want to do one other thing. I think you wanted to say every day to that rich man, he said, you know what you did to me, and God knows what you did to me, and I forgive you, and God wants to forgive you too. I believe every day of that rich man's life, he was made aware of his sinful condition. He was made aware of what he had done. And then he was told this blessed story that God forgives sinners. Amen. That God saves sinners from sin. And when they died, I believe that rich man, when he ended up in hell, he realized that he ended up in hell stepping over the testimony, the love of a, of a man whom he had done 
wrong. Amen? That'd be a pretty powerful witness and testimony there. Now, you don't have to agree with that, but that's what I believe happened. Amen? He sees him there, and he sees him in heaven, and he's in this place of torment, and he begs Abraham to allow Lazarus to come and just give him one drop of water to cool his tongue. You know, Brother O'Donnell, I'm sure hell gets preached about around here. But all over America, hell has disappeared from our Bibles and from our preaching. You never hear a message on hell, that place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. That place of eternal damnation where the soul lives on in a body lives on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and now 2,000 plus years later, that rich man is still in hell, still calling out for a drop of water and mercy from God, and still remembering that in his lifetime, he had everything he needed. He'd done this to Lazarus. He'd, uh, he'd been uh, what he wanted to be, but he decided not to respond to the love of God. Jesus puts this passage of Scripture in here because God, Jesus wants us to understand the, one of the most important truths, if not the most important truth in all of the world, and that is the truth of death and eternity to follow. I don't care how much money you have this morning. I don't care how much education you have this morning. I don't care what house you live in this morning. I don't care what kind of car you drive this morning. I don't care what kind of 401k you have this morning. I don't care what kind of retirement or bank account or stocks and bonds you have or any of that stuff. One of these days you're going to die. And as soon as you die after death is, uh, is eternity somewhere in heaven or hell. Amen. We don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to talk about death. Death is a subject that is very rarely approached anymore in our preaching. We are preaching to, for people to learn how to live. I believe we need to do that. But we need to preach for people to learn how to die. Amen? For death is the most important event of your life that's coming. The Bible says the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. How in the world can God make such a statement? What is better about dying than being born? Well, I'll tell you what's better about it. What's better about it is, is that death is the most important event that's going to take place. Yes, you were born. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But the most important event that's going to take place is the day of your death. We don't like to think about it, but the truth of the matter is that we're, we're all facing death. May I say to you that death is an inescapable event? Amen. It is appointed unto men once to die. Can I tell you that death is an imminent event? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Amen. Death is an event that we cannot escape. Amen. There is no discharge in this war. Every person hearing my voice this morning is less than one second away from eternity. The human heart beats at 70 beats per minute. Less than every second your heart is beating and all it takes for you to leave this life and go into the next life is for your heart to stop beating. A sister died yesterday. I don't know what her age is, but as a pastor, I have done many funerals in 26 years, Brother O'Donnell. I've done the funerals of Sid's babies. I have done the funerals of stillborn babies. I have done the funerals of stillborn babies and their mothers who both died at the same time. I have done the funeral of an eight-year-old boy by the name of Joy who rode our buses. 
Joy came from a filthy trailer park in a filthy place where people lived. An ungodly lifestyle started riding our buses, came to our Sunday school, heard about Jesus, got saved, glory to God, hallelujah, amen. And one day he and some friends, his mama in a drug and drug drug induced stupor, laying in a in her in her housing authority house, while a bunch of kids ran across four lanes of fifty highway in Jefferson City, and all the kids made it except Joy was hit by a car and went out into eternity just like that. My best friend was killed when we were five years of age. At five years of age in Haven, Kansas, I got the news that my friend Steve Valdois was leaving to move to Phoenix, Arizona. I went down to their house, said goodbye to Steve, watched him jump on a Harley David motorcycle with his mom and dad and his little brother. Don't think that's legal anymore. Amen. They went down the block, turned the street, waved his tears running down my feet, face. And uh, Steve Valdois, my best friend, went to Phoenix, Arizona. A few months later, his mama called. And my mother, and I heard my mother say, Oh, Jenny, I'm sorry, and began to cry. And my mama came in and said, Ted, i got to tell you something. Steve was killed today in an accident. Five years of age. I'm telling you that death is an inevitable event for each one of us. It's inescapable and it is imminent. You may not make it through this service. I hope you do. I don't really want to preach and have somebody die when I'm preaching. Amen. I know my preaching's bad, but I hope it's not that bad. Amen. I don't know what happened. But it could happen to you today. Could happen to you tonight. Could happen to you tomorrow. And you and I need to understand something that that is the most important thing that's going to happen in our life. And when that death takes place, you're going to enter into the most important thing you've ever been in. You can't even imagine it. I have not seen, you not heard what God has prepared for those that are saved. And none of us can really understand the awful terribleness and torture and pain of hell. But from that moment, from death on, you will spend eternity, I'm saying eternity, something that our mind cannot fathom forever and forever and forever in this place called eternity. Amen. And so this morning, when I think about that, I ask myself this question, and this is the title of my message. What will be important five seconds after death? What will be important five seconds after death? Can I tell you, we live our lives upside down. Can I tell you, we live our lives in the wrong proportion. Can I tell you that our focus and our priority is totally wrong. And it's totally wrong according to thus saith the word of God. God did not say, seek. He did not say, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He said exactly the opposite. He said, don't take any thought for the morrow. You're not supposed to live with your life upside down. My daddy says that he's built backwards. He says, my nose runs and my feet smell. (laughs) Amen. And I'm not trying to be mean, but most of us sitting in this church this morning, including this preacher that's preaching, we are backwards. We are upside down. We have made the unimportant the most important. And we've made the most important so unimportant. When we die, it ain't going to matter how much money we make. Five seconds after I die, I won't care how many cars I have. 
And I love cars. If you're a true man, you love cars. If you don't love cars, stay away from me. Amen. True men love cars. And true men love muscle cars. Amen. I had a 67 Firebird. Jacked up in the back end. Crager spoke tires. Amen. White raised letter tires. Eight track tape player. Four on the floor. Boy, get that, get that squeal in all those gears. Amen. I love cars. It won't matter amount a hill of beans. What kind of car I had five seconds after I died. I played football in high school. I played football in college. I was a public high school football coach when the Lord called me to preach. And boy, I tell you what, I got some things in my office that are there, reminders of how good I was. Amen. And, uh, and, and, I, and I love playing football. I'm glad I played it. But five seconds after I die, it won't matter how many tackles I made. It won't matter how many interceptions I made. It won't matter how many yards I got. It won't matter what the scores were of our game. It won't matter how our season turned out. That will not be important. God's been good to my wife and I. We haven't had to live like paupers. We live in a great country. I believe if you work hard, you'll get something. Amen. I believe America is still the land of opportunity. Amen. I'm great. That's good. We've owned three or four homes in our life. I don't know how many homes. We start moving more than than than, uh, than than the mail post office can keep up with us. Amen. But 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 but, but those aren't important. So really, what will be important five seconds after death? We need to get focused on that. We need to to confirm some things in our life about that. So this morning, I want to give you three things I believe will be important five seconds after death. Number one, what will be important five seconds after death? Listen, what you did with Christ. What you did with... This is a personal matter, folks. You don't know if I'm saved and I don't know if you're saved. A profession is not a possession. Are you saved this morning? You raise your hand and say you are. I don't know if you are or not. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you this with all my heart. I promise you this. Five seconds after you die and you end up in hell. You're going to wish, you're going to wish, you're going to wish you'd have settled that matter of salvation. And five seconds after you die and you end up in heaven, you're going to run around the streets of gold, have a glory to God. Hallelujah, fit! Some of you are going to have to wake up finally. Some of you are going to have to lose some of your dignity. Which for most of you is no more than pride. Worried about what somebody will think about me if I get excited about being a Christian. Well, I ought to get excited about being a Christian. There's nothing worth being more excited about. I was coaching football in the public school when Kenny Graham came to preach for our church. And he said he was coaching the basketball team, Blessed Hope, where his daddy was a pastor, Tremont, Illinois. And he said they had a last-second shot in the game. Drew up a play. Kid shot the shot. Switched through the net. And he said, came off the bench, screaming, hollering, dancing around. And Ken and the Holy Ghost said, how come you don't get excited at church? When somebody gets saved. And he said, you know what? He said, I had to decide to either pick it up at church or tone it down at the basketball game. And he made the right decision. I think I did too. 
I decided I ain't toning it down to basketball game. I'm going to pick it up at church. Amen. That hair lips some folks. Amen. Yeah, you say, you're a nut, brother. You say, yeah, but I'm screwed on the right bolt. And you get more excited. I don't even know. When the Colts win a ball game than you do when a soul gets saved. You want to talk more about that new car you got than you do about your Savior. What will be important five, six, seven, nine, what you did with Christ. Listen to me. Look at me. Everybody look at me. Everybody in here is headed today, right now, to one place or the other, heaven or hell. It ain't between me and you. It's between you and God. You know if you're saved. And you probably surely know if you're not saved. Especially because most of you are probably regular attenders here. Can I tell you, I wouldn't go to heaven on a hope so. I wouldn't go to heaven on a prayer prayed. That didn't have a belief with it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have too much faith in a conversion without a conviction. Hey, you don't try Jesus like a McDonald's hamburger. Sounds good, I think I'll try it. No! They were pricked in their heart. They were brought under conviction by the Holy Ghost. That's His ministry. To convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You don't have to have the same testimony I have because if we had to get saved the same way, we'd all have to hear, Paul, Paul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee. But I'm going to tell you this. There has to be a time in your life when God dealt with you that you're a sinner going to hell and brought you to the place of understanding I am lost. He didn't church membership and baptism. There are four things necessary to know you're saved. Number one, you have the promises of God. Amen. Whosoever shall name the Lord shall be saved. Amen. That's true. Amen. Number two, there must be a place. There must be a place. If the pastor had everybody come up this morning, all right, we're going to all give a testimony where we got saved. Tell us about when you got saved. Do you have a testimony? Remember I talked about Steve Valdois leaving? When I heard that message, my mama said Steve died. I'd been in church nine months before I was born. Amen? And I knew as a five-year-old boy what sin was, and I knew I'd sin. I knew who Jesus was. I knew Jesus died for my sins. I knew that sin was going to send you to hell. I knew that if you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're going to go to heaven. But I tell you what, dear friend, I never had an experience of the Holy Ghost speaking to me. We had a gospel magician come, don't like that term, but that's what he was. That's what they called him. He came, he took a black handkerchief, put it in some red fluid, brought it out, said, this is your black heart, it's the blood of Jesus. Pulled it out white, you're white, your sins washed away, you have a pure heart. For some reason that affected me, brother. It was just a good illustration. Then he preached at night, preached revival. I was sitting on the second row right here where this sweet gal in the red sweater is with my parents, and he preached one night. I can't tell you what he preached. I don't know what he preached. don't have a clue what he preached. All I know is this, the moment that we stood for invitation, the 
the Holy Spirit of God stuck his finger in my heart and said, you're a sinner. You're going to go to hell for your sins if you don't accept Jesus as Savior. That was the first time in my life I came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you what, it was powerful. I knew for the first time I'm going to hell. It's me that's the sinner. I hung on as just as I am. By the way, when I was a boy, we didn't bow our heads for invitation. Everybody sang the invitation song. If you got anything right with God or you got saved, you had to do it before God and the whole church. Amen? Amen. I was five years old, an introvert. I hung on. And the whole time that invitation is going on, the Holy Ghost, you're a sinner going to go to hell if you don't accept Jesus. You're a sinner going to go to hell if you don't accept Jesus. And I held on through all those verses. And finally the preacher says, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And I went, I had made it. But I hadn't made it. Because I walked out of there for the first night. I slept knowing I'd go to hell if I died. For the first time I went to kindergarten knowing I'd go to hell if I died. I came home that afternoon realizing as I'm playing there with my toys, I'm going to go to hell when I die. I didn't know you get saved at home, preacher. I wasn't, I wasn't biblically illiterate, amen. All I knew was I was under conviction. I want to get saved. I said to God, if you'll get me back to church tonight, I will trust Christ as Savior. He got me back to church. My folks sat on the last row of the church. I'm mad at him. I've been mad at him ever since, amen. Amen. I couldn't walk two hours. How am I going to walk all the way down that church aisle? A preacher preached. I can't tell you what he preached. I don't know what he preached. All I know is this. When we had invitation, the Holy Spirit sucked his fear in my heart. said, you're a sinner going to go to hell if you don't accept Christ as Savior. And you promised if I got you back here tonight, you'd get saved. And I, and I hung on to one verse of just I am. And two verses just I am. And finally, I could take it no longer, preacher. And finally, I did three things all at once. I let go of the pew, stepped out in the aisle, and said, okay. And you know what happened? I got saved right back there. Amen! I got saved. I walked down the aisle and told them I need to get saved. And they took me in a side room, went through a bunch of verses. I don't remember what they were. And I prayed a prayer. I don't know what I prayed. But I know this, that I made my decision to receive Jesus right back there. And I got born again! A real salvation when the Holy Ghost took me from conviction and condemnation to peace and knowing I was saved. Where's your place? No place, no salvation. Number three, when you get saved, there's a person. The Bible says that when you get saved, the Spirit of God moves in. Your body becomes a temple. The Bible says, any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. The Bible then goes on to say the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. How does that work, Brother Houston? The moment I got saved, the Holy Ghost moved in my heart. You know what he started doing? He started teaching me. He started guiding me. He started convicting me. You know what he showed me? He showed me this. He says, here's how I work. Every time you're tempted to sin, I show up and say, you're a Christian. You shouldn't do that. Not one time when I was tempted to sin did the Holy Spirit not remind me who I belonged to. That's Him bearing witness. I tell you what, if you promise to be saved this morning, you claim to be saved, but you are tempted to sin and the Holy Ghost is not there bearing witness with you. Somebody sold you a wooden nickel. Somebody gave you a false gospel. I can't run from the Holy Ghost. I ran from church. I ran from righteousness. I ran from everything, the Bible. I ran from everything you could run from. But I couldn't run from the Holy Spirit. He was in there. 
He wouldn't leave me nor forsake me. He wouldn't be quiet. Number four, how do I know for sure I'm saved? There must be a punishment. There's a place, there's a promise, there's a place, there's a person, there's a punishment. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 6. Whom the Lord loveth, and he, and he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, then are ye bastards and not sons. Amen. You know, the Holy Ghost would tell me don't go sin. You know what I'd do? Like a rebellious child stepping out of, over my father's body and going out and doing the things my daddy told me not to do. Don't look at me that way. You've all done it. When I got done with my sin, because there's pleasure in sin for a season and you enjoy it. When I got done and I'd let off all my buddies and let off that girlfriend and I'd get in my car and drive those few miles to Haven, Kansas when it's just me and the Holy Ghost of God, God would start begin to whoop me. His greatest tool of whipping is called guilt. And I mean, I would get to feeling so guilty for what I did. And he'd just be whooping on me and whooping on me, whooping on me. And I'd pull in the driveway, shut off the car, and I'd run in the house. And I'd fall down in the bathroom floor. And I began to weep like a baby and say, oh God, oh God, I don't know why I do these things. I know it's wrong. I don't want to do this. I don't understand it. Are you sure you're saved this morning? You know, I walked and I was a child and I prayed a prayer, but yeah, my daughter did too at the age of three, age of four, age of 23. When Brother Josh Lovins was preaching our youth revival, she's playing the piano, not a teenager. I'm up in the PA booth running the PA. She comes just barreling up in the PA. She begins to start sobbing. Dad, Dad, I'm not saved. I'm not saved. I just made a profession. I know I'm not saved. I've known it for a long time. I said, girl, let's get her done right now. Well, what are people going to think? They thought I was saved. Who cares what they think? Eternity's a long time. I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. I don't believe that. If you're saved, you're saved. But Paul said, examine yourself. Whether you be in the faith. The worst place in the world to go to hell from would be an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. The worst place in Akron, Ohio to go to hell from would be Community Baptist Temple with a pastor who's preached the truth for 21 years. All because you thought, or because you, somebody told you, or because you know it's not there, but you don't want to humble yourself and get saved. If you're here and you're lost this morning, you never trusted Christ as Savior, today is the day of salvation. And I promise you this, though you may be ashamed or feel a little bashful to walk an aisle in front of this crowd, I promise you that five seconds into eternity, if you don't, you wish you had of. And if you do, you'll be glory to God. Hallelujah. Shouting her out in heaven. I'm glad for that day. I just let go and let Jesus. I ain't got over it yet. Seems like a lot of God's people have. Number two, number one, what's you to Christ? What will be important five, six, seven, eight? Number two, what's your family, your friends, and your fellow man did with Christ? You know what he says in that passage? I can't get out of here. 
Father Abraham, please send him to my father's house. Can I make a statement with all the kindness and love I can? I don't understand us Christians. Understanding hell. How we can let our family members go to hell and never shed a tear over them and never give them a witness. I don't understand how we can claim to love the people on these streets and how we haven't talked to somebody about Jesus, some of us, since we got saved. I read some statistics, 90% of Christians never lead anybody to Christ. My wife was raised in a church that was all works. When I met her in college, I was already out of church. I'd been about, 16, about 10, 15 years in a really bad sin. I saw her in the cafeteria sitting at a table with some of her friends. I was sitting at the table with some of my football buddies. I saw this beautiful young lady, and I smiled and waved at her. And she dove under the table. And you can understand because of how handsome I am that that was a response. And I said, I think I'm in love. Love at first sight. Honest truth happened. So I got to meet her. I worked it out so a friend of mine introduced us. I got to meet her. We went out on our dates. We were poor as Job's turkey. We'd get one, we'd get one uh, shake and we'd get two straws and we'd sip, you know. She sipped most because she sipped so fast. Amen, you heard that, Job. Amen. <laughs> and the second night that we went out on a date walking and talking, we got to the dorm where she lived. And I said to her, Julie, can I ask you a question? She said, sure, what is? I said, if you died tonight, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? Oh, look, I'm, I'm backslidden. I'm out of church. Boy, there'll be something inside the heart of every Christian that looks at their family and their friends and their fellow man and says, I can't bear to see them in hell. Paul said, my heart bears witness. I can worship myself accursed. Julie's family was lost. Many of her family members are still lost. For 39 years now, I have prayed every day for those family members of hers that are still lost. I prayed for them yesterday. I'll pray for them again today. I have wept tears. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. How can you claim to be saved and love people and you're more concerned about your car and about your house and about your pleasure and your recreation than you are the fact that people are dying and going to hell and some of them are your own brothers and sisters. I had a dream one night. Had too much pepperoni on my pizza. <laughs> I don't put a lot of stock in dreams and visions. It wasn't a new revelation, I'll tell you that. But it was very real. I dreamed that I was in the, at the great white throne judgment seat. Jesus seated upon the throne, the table down here with the books. And I was in the choir loft of heaven looking on. And I heard him call this name, Edward John Stippen. And I saw two angels bringing my father-in-law out from the side door over here. So I'm bringing him down the center aisle, standing before Jesus. I saw Jesus say to the angel with the book of life, look and see if his name's in the book of life. 
The angel turned a few pages, looked through down through the list, turned his head, looked at Jesus, shook his head no. I saw my loving Savior say, check again to be sure. I don't know if it's going to happen that way, but that's what I saw. And the angel looked at it again, and this time with his head dejected, he shook it no. And I heard Jesus say these words, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the lake of fire. And I saw the two angels grab my father-in-law, one by each arm, and turn him around, take him down the center. I saw my father-in-law begin to fight, because I can't imagine anybody going to hell without a fight. And he was able to get one arm loose, Brother O'Donnell. Halfway down the aisle, he got an arm loose. He did 180 degree. He looked me right straight in my eyeballs in heaven. He pointed his finger at me and he screamed this, You knew! You knew! You knew! And you never told me! And I woke up with tears and a cold sweat on my face. I grabbed a piece of paper in the middle of the night and I wrote a letter, Dear Dad. I want to tell you how much I love you. I'm so glad you raised Julie to be my wife. Dad, I'm not here to try to make you a Baptist or anything else, but I sure don't want you to go to hell when you die. Might not seem too important right now. I'm going to tell you what, five seconds after you and I die. And we look down in hell. And we get to see for the first time the reality of what our family and our friends and our fellow men are dealing with. We're going to wish when we were living that would have been important. Number one, what you did with Christ. Number two, what your family, friends, and fellow men do with Christ. Number three, what would be important five seconds after you die, let me propose this, what you did for Christ. Can I get an amen there? Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12. Look at me at verse 16. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. When you're there, say amen. If you're not there, just act like you are, okay? And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He thought within himself, what shall I do, saying, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. I just can't help but stop. I just have to stop right here, okay? I'm an equal opportunity annoyer. And by the way, I will say this. Your pastor, your shepherd, he loves you and leads you. I'm a sheepdog. I came in here to nip at your heels, amen? Don't get mad at your preacher for what I'm preaching. That's my job. Come in and try to stir up the family of God. But every time I read this, I just can't, I have a hard time, Brother O'Donnell, have a hard time, folks, with people who have a, 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 a good house that's a $175,000 or $200,000 house, thinking they need to build them a $500,000 house. How many beds can you sleep in at one time? Look, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, folks, the devil has sold us a lie. I've got so much, I'm going to pull down my barns and I'm going to build something bigger. I need bigger. I need better. I need, I need, I need. What do you really need? Be honest with you, what do you really need? Having food and raiment, let us there with be content. It ain't about need, it's about greed. And it's about 
having our priorities wrong. It's about forgetting that there's a day coming when all of this is going to stay here. And you know what? I'm telling you what doesn't count in heaven. Lay not for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth doth corrupt. This doesn't count in heaven. I get my suits at Goodwill. Thank God for Goodwill. Amen. I don't know what I'm wearing today. I'm wearing a Hager black label. Woo! I am styling. I am chic today. Amen. I know all about it. I got clothes in my closet haven't met for three years. But I still can't pass a Goodwill store. What else doesn't happen if the moth, if the rust can corrupt it? I drove today in 2005 Chevy Uplander. That's not impressive. You may have drove up in a Porsche. I didn't see any out there, so that's why I use that. But I don't care whatever it is you're driving, it counts for nothing in heaven. If the thief can steal it, naked came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return. Everything God's given me is a blessing from God and I'm supposed to use it for His glory and His good. And there's nothing wrong with being rich, but we have become a nation of rich-minded people. We've made riches our God. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and Allah. Is that what the Bible says? Cannot serve God and Baal. Hey, God doesn't put words in the Bible by accident. Why did He put mammon in there? Because God knew what the New Testament church's God would be. Money. It's not my God. Listen to me. I'll try to help you. Whatever makes your decisions is your God. I'd be slow winning Saturday, preacher, but I need to mow my yard. You mean your yard's your God? Now, preacher, I'll be there, but we've got to paint the house. I love you. You may think I'm being mean, and I'm not being mean. I don't care you do any of that stuff. Do it all. I'm not care if you're rich. I, I wish all God's people were billionaires as long as they tithe. Amen. <laughs> tithe. Amen. Give it all. Give it all. But I'm telling you the truth of the matter is, is that when we die, all of that stuff that we put all that effort and all that time into, it's going to not go with us. God says to this young man down there in the court, in a few verses later, he said to that young man, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required. God, if, what if God took your soul right now? And he asked you this question, who shall all these things be? And here's when he makes a statement. You can read it right there. So is he who is rich toward himself and not rich toward God. I ask you a very important question you need to answer this morning. Who are you being rich toward? Who are you lavishing upon? I want a new car, preacher. 
I don't think five minutes about going down to the automobile place and buying a $40,000 automobile because I want one. But boy, I tell you what, that church giving, man, they just always want, 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 want. Who are you being rich toward? Every man's work shall be tried. Gold, silver, fresh stone, wood, hair, stubble. Everything you did for yourself burns up. I see the man who's lived for himself, been rich for himself. And this is not this kind of church, I know that. But it's the message. I need to preach it. I see him in the ashes on his hands and knees. Frantically. Not just like I am. Frantically. Going like that in the ashes, screaming this. Surely! Surely there's something! Surely I did something for God! Look, I don't know what kind of rewards I'm going to heaven. Not very many. But I tell you what, if I don't decide to do something for God with my life, that's why I left public high school football coaching. Because I was wasting my life and not doing anything for God. And I didn't want to lose the last 30 or 40 years of my life. I wasted the first 20 years of my Christianity. I woke up one day and said, God, with your help, I'm going to run as hard as I can run. And I'm going to do as much as I can do to make up for the time I lost. What will be important five seconds after death? I hope you've let God speak to you this morning. Let's stand with our heads bowed, our eyes closed.